morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. It's good to get to worship with you today. If you're new here, my name is Fred and I'm one of the pastors. I'll be preaching this morning and um, trying to keep my voice going throughout the service today. So um, if you would turn with me in the Bible to 1 John chapter 2. While you're turning there, I have a couple of announcements. We have Worship auditions coming, coming up on June 4th after the service. If, if you play an instrument or if you sing, uh, we would love to have you consider auditioning for our worship team. We're constantly looking for new team members. Uh, there's, um, yeah, the more we have involved, the better it gets. And so we would love to have you come and audition. Uh, this is for both campuses. Maybe you're interested in being a part of the worship team on Friday nights. Uh, please come and audition. Also, we have VBS coming up, and so it's time to get signed up to help and to volunteer if you plan on doing so. We also have uh, a need of many donations, and so there's, uh, on the way out, you'll see in the fellowship area, if you go to the orange table, there's little slips of things that we need donated. It's super simple. You just take a slip that, of something you want to go purchase, and then you bring that back to church with you uh, here in the weeks to come. So if you can uh, help out with that, we'd greatly appreciate it. We also have a, uh, we're starting to get ready for our young adult retreat in September. And I know we don't want to talk about September a whole lot right now, but it is time to, to mark your calendars if you're a young adult. If you're in that 18 to 35 age bracket, uh, please consider being a part of that retreat September uh, 1st through the 3rd. You can talk to uh, Mel, our young adults ministry leader, if you want more information. All right, let's look at 1 John chapter 2 together. We're going to read just verses 15 through 17, and after we read, I will pray and we'll jump into the message. John instructs us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Would you pray with me? Father, as we consider your word today, what it means to be people who live in the world but are not of the world, as we consider how we can make the most of our time here on earth and do the most good for your kingdom, God, would you speak to us? Would you show us how to personally apply your word to our lives? Would you show us um, God, how to love you and to serve you and to bring glory to your name, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. To understand this text, um, or to apply this text, I think it's easy to understand, but to apply this text, you gotta understand some things about the world that we live in. And the world that we live in is not as it should be. The world that we live in was created perfect by God, or it was created good, anyhow. And man, man's sin entered into the world and corrupted God's creation. And so all throughout human history, because that happened with the very first man and woman, all throughout human history, we have been living in a world that is in rebellion against God. Now that's something that perhaps not everybody innately understands or agrees to, but it's something that's extremely clear in God's word. If you're going to embrace God's view of the world, which I would contend is reality, it is, it is absolute reality, 
then you have to begin with this idea that we live in a fallen world. In fact, the first thing you'll see on the handout, if you have that handout that we gave you on the way in, I would encourage you to take notes that will help you follow along today. We live in a fallen world that is opposed to God's rule and in need of redemption. This world that we live in, not only is it fallen, but in its fallenness, the world is in rebellion. It is opposed to God's rule and what God has been doing throughout human history is he has been redeeming his creation. He has been bringing it back to its original intended purpose. But we live in this in-between state. One day we will, we will live in a, what, what the Bible refers to as a new creation. At the very least, that seems to indicate a remaking of the current creation. But in that new creation, the world will not be fallen. It will not be opposed to God's rule. It will no longer be in need of redemption. But here and now, we live in a world that is opposed to God's rule. With that in mind, John instructs us, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now that has led many believers to applications that John certainly did not intend. There are, let me say it this way, there are three different ways of using the word world. It's all the same, it's all the same word in the original language, this is the word cosmos, and, but it's used, you know, you understand today we have, even in our language, we have words that have different meanings depending on the context. Same word, different meaning depending on the context. World can mean at least one of these three things. It can mean the created world. It can mean the physical world, the, the earth and the universe, the, the place that we live. It can refer to the stars, the sky. It can refer to creation here on earth, mountains, trees. The Bible certainly uses the word world in that way. And so you have to discern from context is is John saying here, we are to not love creation. We are, to, we are to reject creation. Another way that John and other biblical writers use the word cosmos is, or world is to refer to the people of the world. John does this in his gospel in chapter three, the most famous verse of scripture, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. Is he talking about physical creation? No, he's talking about the people. The, the, the use of the word there in John 3 is the same word, different meaning because of the context. John is referring to God loved the people of his creation, the people of the world. But he uses the word world to, to describe that. But there's a third way that, that the biblical writers use this word, and that's the way I think John is using it here. It's a little more complex. The third way is to refer to this system of rejection of God's rule here on earth, which is led by Satan and sustained by human participation. When John says, do not love the world here in verse 15, he's not talking about physical creation. He's not talking about the people of the world. In fact, we're instructed to love people. 
He's talking about this, this world order, this system. We use, we use the, the word world in the same way. We talk about the world of sports or the finance world or something I know absolutely nothing about, the IT world. Some of you work in IT, you work in technology and you have your own little world, right? And, and, and so we use that word in the same way to talk about systems or, or a collection of information and experiences and people that we may or may not be a part of. And that's what John is doing here. He's talking about this system, worldwide system of rejection of God's rule. And the Bible's clear, the leader of that rejection is Satan himself, but the majority of the operations of this world system are carried out by human, human beings. When we, when we oppose God's rule in our lives and in our society and in the world that we live in, we are participating in this concept of the world. And so in, in John's gospel, going back to John's gospel briefly, Jesus instructs his disciples in chapter 15 Verses 18 and 19, he says, if the world hates you, now what's Jesus talking about? Is he talking about physical creation? No. Physical creation cannot hate someone. It might feel like it sometimes. When you're bit up by mosquitoes or covered in poison ivy, you're like, this world hates me. But creation cannot hate. When he says, if the, if the world hates you, is he talking about people? Not necessarily, though there will be people involved. He's talking more broadly about this system of rejection of God's rule. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. The world hated Jesus. If you were of the world, he goes on to say in verse 19, if you, in other words, if you were part of their system, the world would love you. The world would love you as its own. However, because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. John and Jesus, as John records Jesus' words, have, have set up this this state of contention between Christ followers and the world. Between Christ followers, those who obey and submit to God's rule over his creation, and the world, those who reject and oppose God's rule over his creation. The world and those who have begun to follow Jesus here in John 15. His disciples, his early disciples, are opposed to each other. That, that is the same idea that John is picking up on here in his letter that we're studying these few weeks when he says, do not love the world. and Do not love the things of the world. So let's, let's be clear, we have, to, we have to apply what we've been talking about here. John is not saying do not love the sunsets. <laughs> do not love the four seasons. He's not talking about those things. He's not talking about physical nature. 
He's not saying we have to reject those. We, we cannot love those. He's not talking about people. We're to love people. But this world that is opposed to God, and it, it's becoming easier and easier to see, isn't it? It's becoming abundantly clear that we live in some sort of system that does not like God, that only likes God if, they can, if it can define God on its terms. We, it's been interesting to watch the last few years because it really felt like we were heading, you know, culturally, it really felt like we were heading towards a culture that was just going to absolutely reject the idea of God and absolutely reject Christianity as a whole. But what's been happening that I've seen the last few years is there's actually been an effort to, to hold on to Christianity, but to completely redefine it, to completely recreate God, to completely recreate good, and to completely recreate Jesus into a Jesus that our culture loves a Jesus who affirms sin, a Jesus who goes easy on those who are in rebellion against him, a Jesus that we can mold into whatever we want him to be. That's the world. That is not from God. Jesus is who he is. And we don't get to define him. We don't get to recreate him. That's idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is the sin of creating God into the image you want him to be in. He is who he is. You either receive him or you reject him. But you cannot recreate him. And so there's, a, there's sort of a grid that we can run things through, okay? Because this gets a little bit complicated. What is good in the world and okay for Christians to be attached to and what needs to be rejected? Well, there's, there's sort of a helpful matrix. There's three responses that we could have to the things that we experience in life. Some things we'll be able to receive. Some things, some things are either good in and of themselves or they are neutral. Things like I mentioned already, like the physical creation. Physical creation, we as Christians, it's okay to receive and to love and to be attached to, to say, man, I love, I love this time of year. I love to see the trees budding and I love to see things coming, springing back to life. Or maybe you love fall, you love to see the, the leaves change and the beauty of that season. Maybe you're one of those weirdos that loves snow. That's, I mean, <laughs> seriously, seek help, get counseling, but maybe that's you, you, you love snow. It's so, you know, that's those things, that's not what John's talking about here. He's not saying don't love those things. There's things that we can receive. Love between human beings, the, the, the image of God being displayed as we, as we do good for one another, those things can be received. There, so there's things that not everything in the world, not everything in this, in this life needs to be rejected. Then there are things that can be redeemed. Not everything is to be received as it is, but it has the potential to be used for good. There's a lot of things in our world that are sort of neutral, they're sort of amoral, and they can be used for good or bad. So I think of things like the internet. Is there a lot of bad stuff on the internet? Yeah, 
It's a lot of bad stuff. I said that Friday night, and one of the young guys in the back was like, yeah. I was like, all right, easy, you know. <laughs> Take it easy. Yeah, all right, yeah. It's bad. Is there a lot of good stuff on the internet? Yeah. Can it be used for good? Can the internet be, do you know that people are hearing the gospel today in ways that, they, that we just could not get the gospel? There are, there are people who live in countries where literally if you're a Christian and you try to go in and preach the gospel, they'll kill you. But they got the internet. How do we get the gospel to them? So there are things that can be redeemed. There are things that, that we can win back for God and use for good. But then there are things that need to be rejected. Some things can be received as they are. Some things can be redeemed and used for good. But others, there are things in this world that just need to be outright rejected. Things that do not have the potential to be used for good. Things that, that we must stand against. Things that we cannot compromise on. Those are the things John is talking about. Don't love that part of this world. It's in rebellion against God. That's the part of the world that Jesus spoke of when he said, if the world hates you, just know it hated me. And it can be difficult to sort of dice that up. When, when are we dealing with, because the, the majority, I mean, it's, it's not... It's not inanimate objects that are rebelling against God. It's, it's largely people. It's people who are doing evil. It's people who are sinning against and rebelling against God. And we need to be careful to, to separate the, the part, the, the, the person himself can be and our goal should be to redeem them but we live in a world that is in many ways being ruled by Satan and is being led in rebellion by those who choose to join him. And they don't even know it. This is, for most people, not a conscious decision to align with the evil one. It's in our nature. It just comes natural to us. I'm sure, just like you, I've known, a lot, I've known a lot of people who've done a lot of wicked things. I've known very few people in my life who just outright align themselves with Satan. Um, I do know some. I do know some. I actually have a good friend. Um, you might think it's odd that I consider him a good friend um, who just loves Satan. <laughs> and it's weird. It is weird. It's as weird as it sounds. Uh, but I love this guy. He's been, a, he's been a lifelong friend of mine and I'm always praying for him and um, trying to redeem him with the gospel because I believe he can be redeemed. But most people aren't like that. Most people aren't just gonna say, yeah, you know what I wanna do in this world? Whatever Satan wants to do. Most people don't, don't act like that. They don't talk like that. But when you live a life of sin and rebellion against God, even in the little things, that's exactly what you're doing. It's horrifying to come to realize that as a new believer, when you come, to, when your eyes are opened and you see the, the gospel and you see the rest of the world in light of the gospel and you go, dang, man, I was, I was doing some bad stuff. It wasn't good. 
Do not love the world, John says. Christians are to be known for love. Christians are, remember when Jesus said, this is how the world will know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. I mean, love's a big deal in the Christian life, but we're not supposed to love everything. There are things, in fact, we're supposed to hate. We're supposed to hate sin. We're supposed to hate rebellion against God. We're supposed to hate that mankind is deceived and ensnared into rebellion against God. So this leads us to a choice. If we are not to love this world or the things of this world, the next thing you'll see on your handout is that you must choose. You must choose. Christians cannot grow in love for God and in love for the world at the same time. We have a choice to make. That choice is to align ourselves with one side or the other. And the thing about this choice is it's not a one-time choice. It's not like you just, okay, Mother's Day 2023, I decided I'm not gonna love the things of the world. I'm only gonna love the things of God. It's not like that. It's an ongoing, it's an almost moment-by-moment choice sometimes in the life of the Christian. But, But what John wants us to hear here is that loving the world and loving God do not coexist with one another. He's not just saying it's not good to love both. He's saying you can't. He's not just saying, hey, you know, keep one foot in the world and one foot in the church. He's saying you can't do that. Listen to how he says it in the second half of verse 15. If anyone loves the world, well, then he just needs to keep growing as a believer. It'll work itself out. No, he doesn't say that. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whew. Here's John with his, he's got, he's got two brushes. He's got black and he's got white. He don't have a gray brush. He's just, he's just throwing it out there. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions, is not from the Father, but from the world. I love, I love John's boldness in proclaiming this message. It lets me know that he was dealing with believers in the first century who are just like us today. We are conflicted between two desires. One, we want, to, we want to enjoy the things of this world. We want to enjoy the pleasures of sin. We want to indulge our sinful nature. We want to, to live out what's, what here is defined as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride, and one's possessions. You know, sometimes we think, man, those Christians in biblical times, weren't they really something? Yeah, they were something, all right. They were something a lot like you and I. They were sinners, They were just as attracted to the things of the world as you and I. And so John is wanting to shake them up. What are you doing? You can't love the world and love God. Don't you know that everything that is in this world is not from the Father? If 
anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's merely echoing what he heard from Jesus. Jesus, in Matthew chapter six, verse 24, he said, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And Jesus gets real specific. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. James, the brother of Jesus, would write in his, in his epistle in James chapter four, verse four, he says it this way. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. And again, John says in our text, he says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. That's an interesting, this is, some people call this the unholy trinity. What John says, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions. There's a lot of a lot of sort of speculation over exactly what that means. Those, those phrases, they're, you know, they're not impossible to understand, but they're not abundantly clear what John is saying. And so there's a lot of attempts to understand this. What exactly is the lust of the flesh? Most would agree that those are, those are the passions, the desires that come from within, that, which are sinful. The lust of the eyes, perhaps, is lusting after things on the outside, not things that come from within, but think, oh, wow, I see that, I like that, I want that. The pride in one's possessions is the most difficult of these three phrases. It's even translated a little bit differently across the modern English translations, but it, the consensus seems to be that this is the idea that, that we become puffed up and think that we're really something. Some, some commentators point back to Genesis chapter three, verse six, and say that this was, this was the pattern that Eve followed. She saw the fruit, understood that it was good for food, the lust of the flesh, that it was a physically a, a appealing, the lust of the eyes, and that by consuming it, she would gain knowledge, the pride in one's life, or the pride in one's possession. It's not clear if John intends to make that connection, but it's interesting to think about. Some would even point to the threefold temptation of Jesus in the wilderness as he began his earthly ministry as an example of, of these three categories of sin. However you think of this and however you understand it, what's clear here is that these are the things that we are to reject. The, this is the part of the world that is not good. I like the way John Stott summarizes it. He says, he understands these three things this way. He says, the unholy desire for things you don't have and the unholy pride in the things you do have. As, as Christians, we have the, the potential. We have to understand, you know, Christians are, are dual nature beings. We are born with one nature, that is the human nature that we inherited from our great ancestor, Adam, 
passed down to every human being. And that nature is corrupt. And that nature is by nature in rebellion against God. That is, that is why you don't have to teach kids sin. Doesn't that freak you out? Like, so we just had um, Friday, we, we had a, a little foster boy that we actually moved out. Uh, Friday was our last day with him, but it was, a great, it was a great season. We had him for three months. He was seven months when we got him, 10 months uh, when he left. And a lot of great memories, a lot of good times with little Leo, cool kid. And, um, but what's interesting is this little seven-month-old, this little eight-month-old, nine-month-old, he did not need to be taught to sin. He figured it out all on his own. <laughs> Faster than he learned to walk. Faster than we learn to talk. We learn how to sin. So many times you'd be like, no, don't do that. And he'd just look at you like, oh, I'm so glad you said no, don't do that. Because guess what I'm gonna do? <laughs> and some of that is somewhat innocent, but it's really not. It's sin. We, by nature, are rebellious in that it's one thing to rebel against your parents, but by nature, we rebel against the good God who created us and gave us life. And that's why we need a savior. That's why we need to be redeemed. And so as dual nature beings, well, if, we're, if you're a born again believer, because you have this, you have this um, inherent sinful nature, but then if you receive Jesus Christ's offer of salvation, if you turn from your sin and receive his forgiveness and his gift of eternal life, the Bible says you're born again. The Bible says you are a new creation and now you have a new nature. A nature, there's part of you now that wants to please God, to live for God. The problem is, is the old nature still there? That's what the Bible refers to again and again, especially in Paul's letters. He calls it the flesh. And he's not talking about skin. He's talking, he's talking about this, this, this nature that we began with that wants to sin against God. So much of the New Testament is instructing us on how to live as dual nature beings. We have, this, we have this nature that wants to cooperate with the world, and then we have this nature that wants to cooperate with the Spirit of God, and we have choices to make. And we have to make decisions to live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. So much of this battle between the church and the world, so much of this battle between good and evil is carried out right here in our own mortal bodies as we make these decisions to either love God or love the things of the world. I love the short little poem. I heard this as a new believer. I've, I've always kept it in mind since then. It goes like this. Two natures beat within my breast. One is cursed and one is blessed. The one I love, the one I hate, the one I feed will dominate. That's the Christian life that we have this choice to make. Am I gonna feed the flesh or am I gonna feed the spirit? Am I gonna, am I gonna love the world or am I gonna love God? Am I gonna do what is evil or am I gonna do what is good and pleasing?
Well, John gives us the motivation that he wants us to have in this battle. The last point that you'll see on the handout is this. The world is passing away, but Jesus invites us into his eternal kingdom. The world is passing away, but Jesus invites us into his eternal kingdom. Why should we care so much to love God and to not love the things of the world? Why is John being so dramatic about all of this? Why is he so insistent that his readers be compelled to reject the things of the world in in light of the things of God? Because he knows something. He knows that this world is not gonna last. And that people that are building their kingdoms in the systems of this world are going to suffer great loss. If all of your investments are here in this world, if all of your joy and satisfaction comes from the things of this world, you are headed for disaster. You're headed for disaster. It's as if you're alive during the Civil War and you invest all of your human wealth into Confederate currency. In a few short years, it's going to be worthless. In a few short years, it's going to be destroyed. But Jesus invites us to something greater, something that will last something that will last forever. This is how, he's, how John says it in verse 17. He says, and the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. There are two outcomes that you get to choose between. Align yourself with the world. Seek pleasure and satisfaction in the things that are against God. Invest yourself, invest your resources, invest your life in this world. It's passing away. Or you can choose what John describes here as to be the one who does the will of God. That's just a real short way of saying, follow Christ. Receive the gospel, live out the gospel, invest your life in the things of God, invest your life in the kingdom of heaven, live for Jesus, and you will remain forever. What a contrast of options. What a contrast that to think especially in light of the fact that so many are doing this. So many are over here. So many, their whole lives are all about this world. Listen, there are are temporal things that you're going to have to take care of in this life. You're going to have to mow your grass. You're going to have to find a way to pay your bills. You're going to have to maintain your car or find somebody who will. There are are temporal things that that 100 years from now won't matter, but you still have to do them. That's just part of being alive. (laughs) 
And I would say part of being a good Christian, to be a responsible human being in society, there are things you're gonna have to do. But don't you dare invest your whole life in things that are passing away. Be honest with yourself this morning. How much of your time is being invested over here? How much of your energy? How much of your money? How much of your mental bandwidth, your thoughts, your emotions is over here in the world that is passing away? A hundred years from now, you won't still be alive. Elon Musk is a pretty smart guy, but he's not gonna invent a way for us to live hundreds of years. It's not gonna happen. You will be dead. How will you have invested your life? John promises us The one who does the will of God remains forever. The one who devotes himself to prayer. The one who devotes himself to studying scripture. The one who devotes himself to serving in the kingdom. The one who devotes himself to sharing the gospel with his neighbors and his coworkers. The one who invests earthly currency into the kingdom of God so that ministry can happen. That one, that one who does the will, the one who wars against the flesh, the one who says, though I have these desires, I will not satisfy them with my body because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That one, he lives forever. One day, all of the world is gonna be turned upside down because right now, it's largely the people who are living for the world who look like they're winning. It's the people who have earned the most amount of money who look like they're winning. I mean, look at celebrities who every word that, this is stupid. I don't even wanna say this, it's embarrassing. But I was looking at the news the other day and I saw some story about Ben Affleck and J-Lo fighting. Who freaking cares? Like, what is going, why? Greg and Jocelyn fight every day. Who cares? Let them live. But they're celebrities. They're celebrities, so somebody cares. Somebody wrote it down and put it on the internet. That's so dumb. But it looks like these people are winning. They have all of the attention. They have all of the money. They have all of the status. They have all of the social media followers. And everything they have is passing away. And then silently, there are men and women who are living for the kingdom of heaven, doing the will of God, and nobody knows it. And nobody's celebrating them online. And one day there's gonna be this big switch. The people who had everything in this world will have nothing. And the people who chose to have nothing in this world 
because they wanted to serve Jesus Christ, will have it all. For this reason, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse two, he says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Who's the one that's gonna remain forever? The one who does the will of God. How do we know the will of God? We refuse to be conformed to this age. We choose instead to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18. He says, therefore, he's referring to all of the physical trials of living this life. He's talking about how hard it is to live for Jesus. And he's, he's just saying, man, we're, we're taking a beating over here. It's not going well. But then he says in verse 16, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For the seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Which one are you gonna live for? The seen in temporary or the unseen in the eternal. You have a choice to make. You have a decision here. I love what Jim Elliott said. He's became famous for giving his life as a missionary to unreached people groups. In his diary he wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. That's over here, to gain what he cannot lose. Would you pray with me? Father, it's not easy to keep in view what's really important in this world. There's just, there's a lot of distractions. The moment we leave here today, they're gonna, they're gonna flood into our senses but we pray that your Holy Spirit would keep alive in our hearts the desire to live for your kingdom, to not live for the things of this world, to not love the things of this world, to not celebrate the things of this world, but to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate the gift of eternal life, to celebrate that somehow, some way, Jesus saw it as a good thing to invite us into his kingdom. Us, those who have from, from birth have been in rebellion against you, yet through your mercy, you have made it possible for us to be with you forever. God, help us to invest our lives in what will last so that in the end, we don't have regrets, but rather we will rejoice. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.